the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, you're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. And we're always very, very pleased when you join us. Once again, Alan Dempsey does the engineering, and boy, does he do it well. And uh, Andrew Herdliska produces our show each weekend, and we're always very grateful to him. Alan Levinson joins me. Uh, he is a professor of Jewish history at the University of Oklahoma. His new book is out. It, it's simply called Joseph, Portrait Through the Ages. Uh, Alan, thanks for joining me. I'm so glad we can visit. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks, Pat. Where did your interest in Joseph come from? Well, about uh, 30 years ago, um, I was teaching uh, Bible classes uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and I taught one uh, every Monday morning for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And the Joseph story seemed to be one that everybody could relate to and relate to easily. So I kept teaching it. And after uh, doing it a few times, I, I put together a question and answer booklet and just gave it out to my students. And then a few years ago, I realized I, I should really take these questions and answers and, and put them in a book form. And uh, fortunately, uh, uh, Jewish Publication Society and University of Nebraska were were interested. So that's that, that's how I I got to write this book. Well, let's dive in. Twelve really interesting chapters. Let's start at right at the beginning. Joseph, favored son, hated brother. Uh, start teaching right there. That'll be great. Well, right at the beginning of the story of Joseph in Genesis 37. You're given some pretty good reasons why the brothers can't stand him. He brings some bad reports, gossip. He's the visible favorite of his father, Jacob, mm-hmm. who gives him this uh, uh, extravagant katonit pasim, which is usually translated as, um, you know, a multicolored garment or, you know, technicolor dream coat. Uh, he has these dreams which clearly point to his um, superiority over the other brothers. So it turns out that they have, even on the quick reading of the text, a lot to dislike about this boy. And then when you go back further in Genesis, so you realize they have even more reason to dislike him, because Joseph's mother, Rachel, was Jacob's favorite, uh, because... Uh, when it's time to meet Esau, after not seeing him for many years and, and fearing the worst, Joseph puts Rachel and Joseph way in the back uh, so that they'll be in the safe position. And uh, it's really only the birth of Joseph uh, uh, that makes Jacob decide he doesn't want to be in Padan Aram anymore, but wants to go back to uh, go back to Canaan. So. You know, if you think about it from the point of view of those those boys, they have to say goodbye to their friends, to their schoolmates, uh, their grandma and grandpa, <laughs> mm-hmm. and all because this uh, new uh, new rugrat is born. So there's an awful lot of reason for the brothers to have hard feelings toward Joseph, and they do, and they act on it. Next topic, Joseph the Dreamer. Well, you know, he is, there are three sets of double dreams in the Joseph cycle, and they're all important. Um, The 
first the first one is to the brothers, which we've talked about. The second one is to the steward and the baker in Pharaoh's prison, uh, in which Joseph gives what looks like the same dream to completely different interpretations, and of course proves to be correct. And then the most important of all is the third set of dreams where he's before Pharaoh and none of the magicians or wise men in Egypt can tell Pharaoh what his dream about uh, famine and feast and famine mean. Some Jewish commentators think they really can tell Pharaoh but are afraid to because they have no plan of action. And here's this uh, Hebrew slave dragged up from the prison, and he stands before Pharaoh. And not only does he explain the dream, he says, this is maybe what ought to be done about it. He's, you know, he doesn't say, appoint me, but he does say, you've got to find somebody who can, who can handle this uh, agricultural crisis that uh, Egypt's about to face. Mm-hmm. So it's quite an extraordinary performance. Uh, and... Uh, and you know joseph shows uh, shows that uh, he can uh, consider a plan enunciate a plan and then later on in in genesis 47 we see that he's actually carried out that plan so it's a it's quite an extraordinary act alan levinson is the author of joseph portrait through the ages alan tamar a difficult hero uh what do you write here well, uh, what a Tamar does is a little bit unconventional. I mean, she, it's not, Genesis 38 is not a chapter that's often taught in Sunday school uh, <laughs> because she you know, essentially dresses herself up as a prostitute and, uh, you know, entices Jacob, uh, sorry, excuse me, entices Judah to have. Um, sexual relations with her in order to bear uh, children from the line of uh, Israel, Israel and Jacob. And so she uses very unconventional means, but I don't think there's much question that the text ultimately approves of her actions. She gives birth to two, two healthy twins, and in time, uh, you know, those twins will be... Uh, the ancestors of King David. So it's uh, very unusual what she does, but um, very bold. And uh, again, it doesn't say Tamar was right uh, to do this, but it comes pretty close when Judah uh, admits, Sad Kamameni, she's more in the right than I. In other words, Judah should have given his sons his third son, Shela, as the proper husband to Tamar, and he didn't. And uh, so Tamar took matters into her own hands. And um, she's sort of a a hero to modern feminists. She's uh, also, uh, in Jewish tradition, very, very much a, a hero for not shaming Judah publicly, but instead uh, bringing out the, the pledge that he gave her, you know, like major credit cards, and telling him, uh, you know, whoever owns this credit card, that's the father of this child I'm bearing. So it's quite a quite a dramatic little interlude. Now you write about Potiphar's wife vilified and redeemed. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean... The, Again, the the quick read or the simple read is just that she's a desperate housewife. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe the original desperate housewife who, uh, you know, is attracted to this exotic, um, uh, you know, major domo who's running uh, her husband's house. So she comes off maybe on first read as completely uh, irredeemable. But uh, a lot of people, uh, including... Uh, probably at greatest length, the German novelist uh, Thomas Mann, uh, you know, he says, this this can't be the whole story. And so a lot of what I do in my book is to try to, using commentaries, dig into what's behind the story that's that's in the biblical text. 
And in the case of Potiphar, there's one tradition that I particularly like, is that she um, was basically reading her her astrological signs and said, "I'm I'm supposed to be uh, I'm supposed to be in this family line too." I can't figure out how. And this same line of thought says that her daughter, uh, uh, Asnath, or as we say in Hebrew, Osnath, uh, actually winds up marrying Joseph down in Egypt. Alan Levinson is our guest. We're talking about Joseph, Portrait Through the Ages. Uh, we've got more with Alan right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Before you invest, read the prospectus in the registration statement and other documents the issuer has filed with the SEC for more complete information about the issuer and this offering. This is a special public announcement for investors. Have you tried to invest during an initial public offering but never got the chance because big banks and private institutions have already scooped up all the stock? Well, now there's an exciting investment opportunity where you can be in on the IPO of a game-changing digital media company listed on NASDAQ, FOTV. FOTV is a group of millennial-focused digital media companies that creates markets, and distributes live hologram events and premium Hollywood movie content to global audiences via live streaming, virtual reality, and 360. Powered by Holograms USA cutting-edge visual technology. Featured on the Country Music Awards, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and the Coachella Music Festival. Discover a real IPO investment opportunity. Invest as little or as much as you want. Call now for your free FOTV prospectus. 800-409-2501. 800-409-2501. That's 800-409-2501. Hello, I'm Pastor Glenn Riggs, inviting you to be our guest in celebrating all that the Lord has done and experience our pioneer spirit. We're excited to share Starlight Baptist new building with you. It's been several years in the making. We now can share God's Word with so many more souls in Central Florida. There are many ministries here at Starlight. Please visit us at starlightbaptist.com. And don't miss the broadcast ministry of Starlight Baptist. What does the Bible say? Every weekday afternoon at 4 with Pastor Riggs, right here at the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM. And AM 950 WTLN. What does it mean when the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Does it mean God made it impossible for Pharaoh to believe? Or did he just reveal the already hardened state of Pharaoh's heart? On Through the Bible Radio, we're currently following Dr. J. Vernon McGee's study in Exodus. This week on the program, we'll see what's in your heart is of great importance. So tune in each weekday and join us. Weekdays at 2.30 and 9.30 p.m. on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Alan Levinson has authored the book Joseph, Portrait Through the Ages. Before the break, Alan, you were talking about Potiphar's wife, uh, vilified and redeemed. Uh, Is there more there uh, that we should cover? No I, no, I mean, of course, there's a lot to say, but the, 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 what I guess the only thing to say is that, uh, to add is that ancient authors, Jewish, Christian, uh, uh, apocryphal, were all mightily impressed with Joseph's ability not to give in to temptation. And this became one of the most uh, uh, co- commonly talked about topics. Uh, through the centuries, how Joseph, uh, an 18-year-old guy, managed to uh, manage to to basically say no to his uh, his mistress, who had a lot of power over him. So it's uh, that's probably the only thing to add about that 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 Joseph's righteousness here becomes uh, a major uh, topic for Jewish and Christian uh, commentators later on. Then you move to this topic, Joseph. From rags to riches, uh, what are you teaching us here, Alan? Well, I think, I mean, I think above all, um, the virtue of perseverance. I mean, Joseph uh, really winds up in the pit uh, at the end of Genesis 37, and the, the word in Hebrew is bore, and then at the end of 39, he goes back to a pit, uh, the, the you know, the, the, the king's jail, and 
uh, I think quite a lot of people would have given up at that point. Uh, I mean, he has, you know, he, but he doesn't. And when opportunity presents itself uh, before the Pharaoh, uh, you know, he uh, he takes full advantage of it. We've talked about that a little bit. And then he continues on. Uh, he's still a young man. It says specifically that he's 30 years old when he stands before Pharaoh, but he lives to 110. So he goes on for another 80 years, building a family, rescuing his brothers and their father. And of course, the brothers treated him pretty badly. So that's quite an act of forgiveness, and uh, he continues to rule over Egypt. It's uh, way, way, way down the story in chapter 47, Genesis 47, where we learn he's still very much uh, in command and running the show, and so he's a guy who uh, puts his uh, whole heart into his family, into his work, and uh, I don't think he ever loses sight of what his... Uh, his mission is. I think it's. Uh, I think he's quite a heroic character. Uh, then you uh, move to this topic: testing, dreaming, punishing. <laughs> well, the chapters from forty-two to forty-five have caused Jewish commentators a lot of head scratching. Mm. Why does Joseph drag out the treatment of his brothers? so extensively. He mm. imprisons Shimon, then he imprisons Benjamin. He makes them go back and forth to Canaan and Egypt, not a short trip. Mm. Wait, what, why is he doing this? And so the rabbis disagree. He's, you know, is he punishing them? Is he testing them to see if their character has really improved from the beginning of uh, the story? Uh, is he really making sure that the dream that he had in Genesis 37, uh, where uh, by the stars and the moons bow down to him, is he making sure that that is really going to be fulfilled properly? So it's a it's a commentary matter from a Jewish point of view. I mean, what actually is it that makes Joseph drag out this part of the story so much? And of course, there are some modern commentators who say he's just being sadistic. I don't happen to agree with that. But there are those who say it. How about this topic, Judah and Joseph? What, what now, is what does that mean? Uh, in a way, Judah is the sort of dark horse in this story. He, the story focuses on Joseph. He's the he's the main character, but we know in the end, of course that Judah is going to be the dominant um, tribe and family in the nation, and that it's going to be Judah's descendants, especially David, and, and who are going to lead the nation. So Judah shows up. Uh, we talked a little bit about his role in Genesis 38, where you can say that he has an epiphany and realizes that he needs to clean up his own act, uh, but then he's the one who represents uh, the brothers uh, to Joseph in Egypt. He's the one who effectively convinces Joseph in the end um, to uh, break down and tell them that he is their brother Joseph, which happens at the very beginning of Genesis 45. And then uh, in Genesis 49, uh, which is a valedictory address that Jacob uh, gives to his sons, uh, Judah has a very prominent role. So even though he's only the fourth son after Reuben, she, uh, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Reuben, uh, Simeon, Levi, sometimes I say the names in Hebrew and I realize I, I have to stop doing that for a general audience. Uh, but if he, uh, it, you know, he's the fourth son in line, so that's nothing special, but we all know that Judah is something special. Uh, and so that's what that chapter is about. Alan Levinson uh, is joining us from the University of Oklahoma, where he's a professor of Jewish history. Uh, his book is out. It's called Joseph, Portrait Through the Ages. How about the return of Rachel, uh, Alan? Well, yeah, I have to admit, Pat, this is 
a little bit of a self-indulgent chapter. Uh, there's one line uh, in Genesis 47 in which, um, uh, while uh, adopting uh, Joseph's sons of Ephraim and Manasseh into the family, um, Jacob says to Joseph, sort of, or kind of off off script, um, uh, you know, Rachel died on me when I was uh, heading back to Bethlehem. And it's sort of, uh, you know, it seems like it doesn't fit. But then when you think about it, I think it fits perfectly because Jacob is asking Joseph to take him, Jacob, all the way up to Canaan for burial. It's a very, very long trip and not an easy thing for the viceroy of Egypt to uh, accomplish. And yet, he, you can only imagine him looking at his son's face and saying, why did you bury my mother Rachel? Uh, not in the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Machpelah near Hebron, but rather, uh, you know, basically on the side of the road. And so it's a very psychologically, I think it's a very psychologically rich uh, 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 verse and interlude, and, and mainly what I do in that chapter is talk about all of the things that go into Jacob's utterance there. And I do that mainly through the eyes of, of Jewish commentary because uh, they were very, very interested in this comment. Was, was Rachel buried in the land? Was she not buried in the land? Why did Jacob bury her there and not bring her to the tomb of the patriarchs? How did Joseph feel about his father's act? The, this is just the sort of meat and potatoes thing that rabbis uh, in centuries past loved to talk about. And boy, did they ever. How about adopting Ephraim and Manasseh? What uh, What's going on here? Well, um, I mean... Pat, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure your readers will all know this story, this story really well. And sometimes, sometimes it's just a matter of um, thinking about the, you know, what's related kind of straightforwardly is really quite extraordinary. Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh are born in Egypt. They're not born in Canaan. They're not born of an Israelite mother. On the contrary. They're born of the daughter of an Egyptian priestess, Oznat uh, Bat-On, which is really something. And then, of course, Joseph has been, in many ways, including physically, alienated from his birth family for most of his adult life. And so the question is, when God brings them back to the land of Canaan, what, what, what will Ephraim and Manasseh's role be? Will they be part of the family? Will they really be considered uh, as part of the family? And uh, in chapter 48, we have a very, uh, you know, we have a very worked out, um, uh, you know, affirmation that that's, that that's true. They will be. They These two sons of Joseph are going to be considered tribal members in Israel. And, of course, later on, they, 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 they become that. They, you know, there's the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. But it's, it's, it's not so obvious, really, given, you know, given the circumstances. So I talk about that. I talk about that. And, again, throughout the book, I really try to... It's not so much my opinion that matters it's in this book. It's the opinions of uh, great commentators from the past mainly Jewish, but also Christian. Jacob's valedictory. Uh, what's, uh, what's that all about? Well, you know, just before he dies, Jacob, who, of course, is also Israel, I mean, he's, uh, from Jewish point of view, there are, you know, four matriarchs and three patriarchs. That's it. And he's the last of the patriarchs. And he's also the one who gives the name to the whole in a sense, the whole people. It's Jacob who becomes Israel. So he's sort of sometimes a character speaking as a, like an individual, like you or I would, but then sometimes he's clearly speaking as the uh, forefather of his nation. And in this uh, valedictory, um, he talks about 
all of the the 12 children, but if you look at chapter 49 of Genesis, it's really quite mixed. I mean, and I don't, I don't know if people always um, get that. A lot of what he says is quite critical. A lot of what he says is um, even harsh, uh, talking about Shimon and Levi and their massacre of Shechem in Genesis 34. He clearly um, alludes to that. And he characterizes the sons in different ways. And not surprisingly, um, the two sons who get the most praise and the most, uh, the most attention are Joseph and Judah. And, and that, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a chapter that some modern, modern Bible scholars think was clearly an independent unit added later. But I, I, obviously traditional Jewish commentary doesn't look at it that way. So I try to highlight the ways in which it's really quite connected to the rest of the story. Alan Levinson, our guest. Alan, the next topic, the deaths and burials of Jacob and Joseph. Well, this gets, this gets a, a lot of play, in, and uh, uh, your, reader, your, 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 your listeners, your listeners m- might not know that the division of the Bible for Jews and Christians is a little bit different. Um, uh, the chapters that we're all familiar with are are medieval, but before that there were weekly sections into which the Bible is divided, the first five books, 54. And interestingly, the last one in Genesis is called And and He Lived, Vayechi. And and it's ironic because the whole last weekly reading deals with the death of Jacob and Joseph. And uh, in the case of Jacob, of course, we have a very elaborate burial, and the whole nation is involved, and the whole family is involved. And Joseph brings up everybody uh, that he's allowed to bring up. Uh, It looks like the Egyptians are keeping the kids and the wives back in Egypt just to make sure Joseph comes back. Don't want to lose a good general manager. Uh, And uh, and, and then he's buried, and then Joseph uh, it, it dies at the very end of Genesis 50. It's the very last thing that happens in the book of Genesis. Uh, and later on, uh, we learn that Joseph, is, I think it's very be- beautiful and very touching, Joseph's remains are not left in Egypt when the children of Israel go out from Egypt, but they're brought by Moses himself, and in Exodus 13, we're told this. And then uh, Joseph's remains are buried properly uh, in his, you know, the, his son's, son's, son's ancestral, you know, homeland. Alan Levinson has been our guest from Oklahoma, Joseph, Portrait Through the Ages. Uh, we've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Donald Trump has shown he is the leader America needs and now urgently needs your help today to defeat Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton wants to keep us on the destructive path we are on and has taken millions from mega donors. Donald Trump needs your support now more than ever to counter the lies by Hillary and the mainstream media. Ronald Reagan's winning campaign manager is now leading the charge for Great America Pack to rally millions of Americans in support of Donald Trump. We need 10 million phone responses in support of the Trump movement and to send a message to Hillary supporters that Donald Trump will be our next president. We need every American who wants Donald Trump to defeat Hillary Clinton to call 800-676-8141 now and press 1 to take our unity pledge to show your support. Donald Trump must not be denied the presidency and it starts with your phone call to 800-676-8141. Join the movement by calling 800-676-8141. Call now 800-676-8141. Paid for by Great America PAC, which is responsible for the content of this advertising and not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. GreatAmericaPAC.com. Do you realize that everything that happens in your life is a battle for your soul? This is Brother Paul inviting you to join me this Sunday at 1 p.m. for the Word of God for Us Today program. The Bible says if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. 
Join me every Sunday at 1 p.m. and find out what God's Word has to say to us right here on the new 950 WTLN. Do you need a new roof but don't know who to call? Here's Eric Holm, the owner of Golden Corral and his experience with Total Roof Services. Total Roof Services takes care of all my Golden Corral restaurants and my homes. They are the most professional roofers I've ever used. Hi, I'm Eric Jackson, owner of Total Roof Services. We've made it our mission to serve our community. You're going to love your roof. I guarantee it. Visit us at TotalRoofServices.com. State license CCC 1330329. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Alan Levinson, our guest in the first half hour from Oklahoma, uh, talking about his book, Joseph, Portrait Through the Ages. Well, we just go from Oklahoma, uh, Norman, Oklahoma, just a little further west to Colorado Springs. Lisa Bevere is with us co-host of The Messenger. Her book is out with Ravel. It's called Without Rival. Embrace your identity and purpose in an age of confusion and comparison. Lisa, nice to catch up with you again. I hope things are well. It is going great. And hey, thanks for giving me a voice back into my former stomping grounds of Orlando, Florida. uh, Tell me about that. Well, my husband and I were youth pastors there in Orlando. I think I birthed, well, I know I birthed three of my four sons living there. And so, yeah, we love Orlando. We just um, went to Colorado because uh, we felt like it was a more central place to be traveling from. But I love Orlando. My kids have great memories of growing up there. And what was your church? Where were you? Well, you know what? The church we're at isn't even in existence anymore. So we were, my husband's a youth pastor, and then he started traveling in 1990. Mm-hmm. So we've been, we were kind of rogue people for a long time. And you've just gotten back from Australia, right? What was going on there? Well, I, I did Jesus Culture in L.A., and then I hopped on a plane, and I went to a church in Brisbane. We did something, I think it was called the Secret Weapon Women's Conference or something like that, and it was in, a, it was just this great gathering of women, about 2,000 women, then I did multiple services, and then I hopped on a plane and came back. And while I was gone, Pat, my fourth grandchild was born. His name is Augustus Michael. Oh, my and goodness. So I'm super excited about meeting him. haven't met him yet because, as you can tell, my voice is a little bit junky, so they're saying I can't come over there until I'm perfect. And where does, where does he live? He lives, when we're Italians, so we do everything we can to keep them in a tight circumference. So I got he it. He lives about five miles from me. Yeah, we feed them and do anything we can to keep them near. Uh, a quick question. Describe uh, what it's like having 2,000 Australian women under your tutelage. Okay, so I love the Australian women. I will say they're a little bit wild. <laughs> and um, so I, I've had such a strong connection, whether it's been Hillsong or C3 or COC, which is what this one was. I just love them. They're raw. They're pioneering women. You know, they, they get my humor. So I don't know. Maybe I'm secretly Australian. I have no idea. Tell me about your new book. So the new book, and actually just launched yes, you know, in, in, this month in August, and so I know we're in September now, so I just totally kind of confused our time zones. We're just time traveling. But um, I wrote this book called Without Rival. You know, Pat, I have just come back from South Korea, and there's some people that do jet lag well. I'm probably not one of them. And I was working on my last book, uh, Girls with Swords, and I was typing, and all of a sudden I fell asleep on my computer. Mm. And I knew that because eight pages later of the letter T, I woke up. And I thought, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm not going to get any quality of work done. I need to just to go lay down. And so I was just falling asleep, Pat, when I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I do not love my children equally. I sat up, I was like, that, that's blasphemy. You, you wait. I don't know who said that, but you have to love us all the same. If you don't love us the same, that wouldn't be fair. And I heard back, same would imply that one of you are replaceable. Equal would mean my love could be measured. He said, I do not love my children equally. I love them uniquely. And so I jumped off my bed, went looking up the word unique, its first tier definition is sole representative of, then prototype, and then the third one comes in at without rival. And it just was so astounding to me. There is no rival for God's love for you. Nobody can displace you. 
Nobody can replace you. There's no competition. We don't have to be competing with one another to have that place in the Father's heart. And there's no one that's going to actually love the world the way we'll love the world. You know, we're God's ambassadors. He, he makes us so unique, and He makes us without rival. And we live in a day and a time that breeds competition, comparison, commending yourself, and rivalry. And so it's really the antithesis of everything. And so I began to think about it. Wait, when I had my first child, I was so in love with Addison. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I love this baby. I want to have more. But then close to the end of my pregnancy, I began to panic a little bit. I thought, wait, what was I thinking? I love Addison so much. And now I'm going to have another baby I don't even know that looks kind of scary on the sonogram. I'm going to have to cut the love I have for Addison in half and share it with this new stranger baby. But that's not what happens. As a parent, when you have that second child, it doesn't cut what you have in half. It multiplies it. It opens up a new portal. It fills something in our life we don't even know was missing. And that's the way God looks at us. And we're just flawed humans. And He is this perfect Father, this marvelous God who is without rival. So it stands to reason we'd be children without rival. Lisa, I want to dive into... Uh, the 10 different aspects of this book that you write about. First of all, an identity without rival. That's your opening chapter. Uh, right. c- can you expand on that? Well, kind of the whole example of most people are trying to find their identity outside of their creator. They're, they're letting what they do identify them or who they know or their Facebook likes or their Instagrams or their popularity, which means we're tying our identity to something that at any moment can be taken away from us. And most people think, well, my identity is my uniqueness. I'm going to color my hair pink or I'm going to, you know, dress different. But the truth is your uniqueness has absolutely nothing to do with what you look like. It's how you were woven how you're woven by God in secret. And so I wanted them to know that they had an identity without rival and that God wouldn't love them more if they, you know, if they were born a woman, if they were a man, or, you know, more if they were a man. You know, it's just one of those things where God loves us completely and that He sought us. And it's actually, it's actually a really frustrating dynamic that when we are, when we truly belong to God, that we would move outside of who we belong to to find out who we are. So that would be an identity without rival. And, you know, and so many women, Pat, it's just, it's just been astounding to me. You know, they'll just write me and say, I just, am, I just, when I read that God loves me uniquely, I, I just break down and cry because they compare themselves with other people and they always feel less than, feel less than, they're not thin enough, tall enough, young enough, attractive enough. And so when they can make a connection with their God identity, then all of a sudden they understand they're none of those things. They're actually something that nobody can see. And then the next one is the unrivaled God. Yes. And, you know, here's the thing. We serve a God without rival. All through the book of Isaiah, he's always posing this question, who is like me? And there's only one answer, no one. There is no one like our God. And so what we need to do is stop trying to define him according to our understandings, according to our concepts. And so I went through the entire Bible, and I found every time God introduced himself. So he would say, you know, I am love. That means I can have love. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That means that he's going to author and finish what I begins. He, he is who he is. He's everlasting. So I went through all of the things that he is because who he is means what I have access to. You know, it doesn't make me a God, but because he is love, I can love. Because he is mercy, I can forgive. Because he is my father, then I am adopted because he is faithful, that I can trust him. And so going through all of these dynamics and understanding that here's this God who is one. And we live in a day and age of so much information that most people are drawing their information off of what other people say. They actually don't know how to create some sacred space in their life and hear God whisper who he calls them. And I love the interchange between Jesus and Peter. You know, Jesus is kind of saying, hey, Peter, who are they saying I am? You know, or Christmas time at the time, who are they saying I am on Facebook? 
who are they saying I am on Instagram? And he's like, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. Some people are saying you're Elijah Way from that. And then he turns and he says, but who do you say I am? And to me, this is such a significant moment because Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on to say, you didn't, you didn't get this from books. You didn't get it from flesh and blood. My heavenly Father revealed this to you. And when we have a revelation of who God really is, then Peter gets defined as who he really is. He says, I'm going to tell you now, Peter, who you really are. You're no longer Simon. You are Peter. You are rock. You are solid. And we need to have those times in our lives where we can actually spend time with God so that he can show us who he is and reveal who we are. Next topic, Lisa. Lisa Bevere is with us. We're talking about her new book that is uh, just out with Ravel. It's called The Messenger. It's called Without Rival. She's the co-host of The Messenger. The book is called Without Rival. All right, now, Lisa, a promise without rival. That's your next topic here. Absolutely. Well, you know, I feel like there's a, when we look at the promises of God, we can look at Abraham and Sarah. They live by faith, and they have these promises. But when I, and how I love to study the Bible, and, and it's possibly because I'm ADD, is I like to try to put myself into the situation. And so I'm looking at the situation of Abraham and Sarah. God comes to Abraham. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm your exceeding great reward. It's going to be amazing. And he's like, okay, I'm so excited for Ishmael. And he's like, nope, no, 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 not Ishmael. Isaac, not Hagar, Sarah. But what happens is the very next chapter we see this interchange, the angels have come, they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham detains them, and the angel now is saying, hey, I'm going to be back about a year from now, it's gone from a year from now to about a year from now, and at that time, Sarah is going to have a son, and in the tent, Sarah is laughing. She's laughing to herself. She's not even laughing outside. She's laughing to herself and thinking, okay, I got an old husband, and I'm an old woman. How could this possibly be true? And I love what happened, something I'd never seen before. The angels don't yell, hey, Sarah, why did you laugh? They actually said, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for God? And I really had this feeling, Pat, that Sarah was hiding and listening in on a conversation she should have been part of. I'm just going to be honest with you. If three angels showed up my house in Colorado Springs, <laughs> uh, John would have to kick me into the basement. I would not be hiding behind a closed door. I would be hovering. You know, but Sarah knew disappointment. She was more intimately acquainted with disappointment than she was with a promise. And when people are so intimately related to the pain, they laugh at the promises of God. And, and I have such a sense, Pat, that God is actually inviting some couples to have some conversations that He wants to be part of again. And maybe the women have drawn back, or maybe the men didn't know how to involve the women. But God has always done things with one woman and one man who have one heart. And Abraham and Sarah had started to live like brothers and sisters. And the truth is, they needed to live as passionate lovers. And so God needed to get that dynamic back so that they could have Isaac and laughter back in their life. My guest is Lisa Bevere uh, from Colorado Springs. Next topic, Lisa. Well, the next topic is kind of... Don't, you dare, don't you dare compare. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is kind of an embarrassing story. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, I, I find that I can use myself to be an object lesson on pretty much everything. So, Pat, I'm 56. And there was this particular list that I wanted to be found on. It was a list of the top 100 ministers. It came out every single year. Different people authored it at different times. And this is probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, the list came out, and I once again hadn't got on it. Now, this one did have a little disclaimer. It said, perhaps somebody, we missed somebody on this list. So I go running into my husband's office. I'm like, oh, my gosh, add me to the list. You need to add me to the list. And John was like, Lisa, what, what are you saying? Do you even know these people? I'm like, no, but I still want to be on the list. I'm 54. It's never going to happen. It just doesn't happen now. But he was like, you need to go read some scriptures. And I was like, I don't want to read scriptures just because I know it's wrong. doesn't make it right. So then I called a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, what's interesting, Pat, is everybody I knew was on the list except for me. People that even translated 
my books into Spanish were on the list and not me. And so I called my friend, and she was like, well, am I on the list? I'm like, yeah, you're on the list. Everybody's on the list. And she's like, well, why do you care? And I was like, because obviously I do, and I'm confessing that I shouldn't. So I did this, like, 30-minute of a crazy woman. I went on a rampage, and I was like, lists are wrong. List leave people out. Then I went to, maybe I'll make my own list and put myself on it. And then it's like, Lisa, do you hear yourself? And the Holy Spirit said, Lisa, would you think this list was invalid if you were on it? And I had to get honest. My guest, Lisa Bevere, her book Without Rival. We got another segment with Lisa. Right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM at AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. What's new at the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN? Addison's Walk, Saturday afternoons at 4. Welcome to Addison's Walk. This is Michael Phillips. I am the headmaster of Smith Prep, and I am the host at Addison's Walk. We are right now in the process of introducing the subject of what is the church. few questions that are as important as this one. It's going to be a lively discussion. I'm excited about it. All new Saturday afternoons at 4. Addison's Walk, only on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Addison's Walk is a ministry of the Smith Prep Education Foundation. Hello, I'm Pastor Glenn Riggs, inviting you to be our guest in celebrating all that the Lord has done and experience our pioneer spirit. We're excited to share Starlight Baptist new building with you. It's been several years in the making. We now can share God's Word with so many more souls in Central Florida through our many ministries here at Starlight. Please visit us at starlightbaptist.com. And don't miss the broadcast ministry of Starlight Baptist. What does the Bible say? Every weekday afternoon at 4 with Pastor Riggs, right here at the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM. And AM 950 WTLN. Have you ever had a time when you felt you heard God's whisper? This may be one of those times. If you or someone you know is pregnant, adoption is a positive alternative and a truly brave decision you don't need to make alone. Life for Kids is a private, nonprofit Christian and licensed adoption agency serving women who are pregnant, their unborn babies, and the adoptive families who are praying you will choose life. Life for Kids offers compassionate counseling, adoption planning, information, and support. Have you considered adopting? Life for Kids serves Christian couples called by God to adopt, and they've placed children into loving Christian homes for over 20 years. Is this the whisper you've been waiting for? Adoption is a positive choice. Life for Kids will walk with you on your adoption journey. Visit lifeforkids.com. That's lifeforkids.com. LifeForKids.com You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Lisa Bevere is with us uh, from Colorado Springs. Her book is called Without Rival. Uh, Lisa, let's move to this topic. When you're seen as a rival, Mm. what's that mean? Yeah, well, here's the problem. You can't control how other people see you, but you can control your response. I've spent far too much time trying to re, you know, renegotiate things that people have already decided about me. You know, and so what happened is, you know, David is a classic example. Saul saw him as a rival when really he was his replacement. He could have seen him as a son, but he chose to see him as a rival. And so what happens is God will put people in your life who kind of attack you, and you need to understand that they're actually giving you position. So Goliath gave David prominence. Without Goliath, David wouldn't, he'd be an unknown. Now, Samuel had anointed him, but it kind of seems like his dad didn't even know to call David. He had seven other brothers that made him kind of easy to overlook. But who made David a king? was not Goliath, nor his father, nor the prophet Samuel. Who made David a king was Saul. And Saul drove David into the wilderness and drove all of the horrible behavior that Saul was exemplifying out of David's life by chasing him, first with spears and hands in the castle, and then from cave to wilderness and cave to wilderness. And every time we see David interacts with, with Saul. He proves that he's blameless, and he also calls out to him 
my father, my father. So we know that he had a father wound, and yet God didn't want him to be fathered by Saul. God wanted to be his father. And so I think that often people think, oh, gosh, why am I having a rival? Why, why, is this, why is this going on in my life? I must be doing something wrong. Really, usually it's God trying to refine you, to position you for something right. Let's go to the next topic, Lisa. Gender without rival. Okay, now this is a huge one. So, Mr. Pat, we <laughs> have a day and time where we should not have gender rivalries, but we do. And there's still so much confusion on how men and women interact with one another. We've got some churches where women are standing up and saying, hey, guys, it's our turn now. You need to take a seat. We've got other churches where the men are standing up and saying, women, sit down and shut up. We have forgotten that God did not create male and female for a power struggle. They created us for a power union, and we're not supposed to be using our, you know, our places or our strengths against one another. We are intimate allies. We're not enemies. But I felt like I had to just kind of speak out, because here's the thing. I have two magnificent granddaughters. And when I look at their lives and I hear some of the things that some of the leaders, leaders I actually really respect, say about women, I'm, I'm just not able to say, okay, that's, that's good or that's godly. Like, for example, one of the most promise, prominent uh, church planters, you know, he, he went as far as to say, and he's talking about Timothy, he's saying that Paul is saying that women are unfit, easily deceived, and gullible. And I'm reading that, and I can look at my own life path and think, well, I've been all three of those things at some point or another. I've been unfit. I've been an idiot. I've been deceived. But the truth is, it's not what I've been. It's about what's been done for me. And God has given me his word so I can rightly divide. He has given me his spirit to impart wisdom. And Jesus Christ has made me fit. And so I had to think, if I don't want this said over my daughter's, or my granddaughters, then I can no longer allow this to be spoken over me. And there is many uh, women that feel contained and limited based off of their gender. And I really believe that Jesus' great commission to go into all the world and make disciples is our permission to obey God. Now, you can get into semantics of, can they be an elder? Can they be a deacon? That's not even what I'm talking about. The truth is, we need to tell women you need to be able to have the freedom to be obedient to God. And whatever that looks like, then you need to give an expression to that. Because I feel like the religious leaders have called the woman back in and forbid them to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, where Jesus is empowering us to do this. And so this conflict needs to stop. I also have found that when gender isn't treated, whether it's male or female, with the correct honor, then the response of our culture is to blend the genders, to try to bring healing and so I believe right now we have a whole generation that is confused about who they are, who their, what their gender is, and a lot of it is because we haven't honored both male and female. Now, Lisa, we're going to move to the rivalry of fear and love. So this also is a big self-reveal chapter. You know, I was, I was raised by parents who did, did as good as they knew how to do, Pat, but I was raised with the mindset of, when you change, I'll forgive you. When you stop it, I'll believe you're sorry. And that did not translate well into a marriage. Recently, John and I were doing um, kind of a Q&A on a Sunday night at one of our favorite churches, and they said, you know, what is two points that you would say to young married couples or anybody even considering getting married? What's the two things you would say that you'd learn? And I just said, well, first and foremost, I would have loved my husband more fearlessly early on. Because of that mindset, I held back for probably the first 8 to 10 years. Now, I've been married 34 years, but 8 to 10 years of just kind of a pullback. I'm not going to give all my heart in case you hurt me. I'm going to reserve some of it. And then the second thing, Pat, was I said I would have allowed John to make more mistakes. There were so many risks that he wanted to take, Pat, that I was so scared about him taking, because when I felt like I couldn't control it, I was afraid. So really the opposite of love is fear. 
and the opposite of fear is love, not faith, because you can actually have faith in your fears and see them happen. And so I really want uh, women to understand that there's nothing more attractive than a fearless woman. Mm. Lisa Bevere is with us. Now we're going to talk about deep wells and wishing wells. Absolutely. You know, John and I were recently interviewed. Uh, we were looking for candidates for a television show, and we were considered to be hosts. And we kind of told them on the very front, and we, we, this is not a good fit for us. But they were like, oh, no, no, we love you guys. We love how passionate you are, blah, blah, blah. So we kind of did the first tier of interviews, and we were in the second tier, and then they were on the third tier. And they'd sent us questions. And they said, all right, my 16-year-old daughter is having sex with her boyfriend. What should I do? Should I get her on birth control? Should I get her tested? And I looked at them and I said, well, the Bible says flee fornication, not facilitate it. And they said, you know what? Uh, You need to stop right there. We don't want you to quote the Bible. We don't want you to quote Scripture. We only want you to be spiritual. And here's my challenge. I can only be as spiritual as I am scriptural. If not, it's just my own human imagining and understanding. So we have a culture right now that is accusing the Church. Anytime we speak up on Scripture, it is accusing the Church of judging. But the truth is, speaking the truth in love, we're not going to do it with hate, speaking the truth in love is not judging. Speaking the truth in love is setting people free. But they don't want us to give a deep answer. They want us just to wish them well, bless them in their sin, say what they're doing is okay, say Jesus loves you, which of course he does. But the truth is Jesus sets free who he loves, and there is so much more than what we've represented. And so it was very important to me to talk about that when I wanted more of God, he said, great, I love you, you're always going to be mine. But, girlfriend, I need to excavate some areas of your life. If you want me to do a deep work in you, we need to remove some of these areas. And so I I really wanted to facilitate that for people so they could understand that their life could be a deep well other people drawn from, or they could be a wishing well where people just toss pennies in. Lisa, what are you going to do to get your voice back? Um, I'm probably going to be quiet tonight, and uh, I've been avoiding playing all the sports with the boys and not yelling. So, um, yeah, I, it's so much better today than it was yesterday, And but I so appreciate you giving me this chance, even though everybody's going to say I don't even recognize that voice. I'm very proud of you, Lisa. Beautiful book. Thank you. So glad Thank we could you. visit. Lisa Bevere, our guest. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Alan Levinson uh, joined us. And we talked about his book, Joseph, Portrait Through the Ages. Uh, and then we swung out to Colorado Springs, where Lisa Bevere, best-selling author, uh, along with her husband, John, uh, she joined us and uh, had a wonderful chat with Lisa today. So glad that we could do that. Without Rivals, the name of her book. Uh, please visit my website. It's uh, patwilliams.com. The Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, check out one of my recent books. It's called Leadership Excellence, The Seven Qualities, The Seven Keys to Being a Great Leader Here in the 21st Century. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Amazon.com, always a great way to order books. Well, have a great day tomorrow in church, and uh, I hope the week ahead is a good one for you folks. And then we're back next weekend for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. In Orlando. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.